Welcome to Public Narrative, A Word with Jamira Alexander. I'm your host, Jamira Alexander, President and Executive Director of Public Narrative, a community media resource nonprofit based right here in Chicago that champions narrative change through workshops, training, programming, and research, building more authentic relationships between media makers, nonprofits, and you, the community. A word is the chance to bring different guests on the show that can help us better understand some of the pertinent issues our communities face when it comes to public safety, education, and health. Since former Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel closed half of the publicly run mental health clinics across the city in 2011, the decision has only worsened the issue of mental wellness for many Chicagoans, especially those in disinvested communities. And since the COVID-19 pandemic, mental health issues for Black Chicagoans in particular have gotten even worse. In September, the Chicago Sun-Times reported Black Chicagoans had the largest increase in rates of death by suicide since 2019. More specifically, that's a 53.8% total increase with a 79% jump between 2019 and 2020. Sometimes staff reporter Mariah Rush's report also shared that Black Chicagoans are the only racial or ethnic group documented that has seen no improvement from 2019 suicide rates. But in recent years, mental health awareness has increased across the country, even here in Chicago. This includes the National 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, which launched in July 2022 as the new nationwide hotline number for mental health emergencies. In a two-part series of Public Narrative, A Word, we're going to talk about mental health and look at some of the issues, solutions, and impacts around this public health matter that continues to take so many lives in the Black community here. Kamisha Jones, founder and executive director of Sister Afia Community Mental Wellness, will join me later in the show to discuss her work in the mental health space here in Chicago. But first, joining me at the table is Andy Wade, Executive Director of the Illinois Bureau of National Association of Mental Illness, also known as NAMI Illinois. Andy, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's great to be here. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this conversation, particularly because we see a lot of times in our communities, you know, very little uh, mental health resources. Um, there is, there's a semblance of community in other industries and areas, but not always in the one that makes us whole and makes us well. So can mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about your work at, uh, at NAMI Illinois? Okay, great. Well, first of all, I'll tell you what NAMI is. Sure. Uh, NAMI stands for the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and it is the nation's largest grassroots community of people who have uh, been directly impacted by mental health conditions. So. Uh, we are um, 600 affiliates across the nation and 19 here in Illinois. Mm -hmm. And NAMI Illinois is a support organization for those affiliates. So NAMI programs really are from the community. It's people who've uh, directly lived uh, and experienced things in their own lives or in their family. And um, our programs are free of charge and are delivered by people who've been through things. Mm -hmm. So with training. So uh, NAMI, I really think of is the public and the public conversation about um, mental health. And what exactly does NAMI f um, hope to do as it addresses uh, suicide rates here in the state of Illinois? Well, you hit the, the real issue. I, suicide is, um, it's been an issue for a long time. I, there's sort of this myth that the pandemic is what's caused sure. things, but uh, depression's been um, epidemic from the World Health Organization for at least two decades. Mm -hmm. So uh, suicide rates have been rising steadily. Uh, what's especially concerning though is that suicide rates in, in certain communities are rising faster 
So the black community used to uh, commit suicide at lower rates, and that's changing rapidly. So that's a lot of concern. So the suicide um, and mental health crisis is something that's been um, on everybody's mind. Uh, in a way, the pandemic had a little bit of a silver lining in that it accelerated responses uh, to improve the crisis system um, nationally which is a positive thing. But there's a lot of work to do on suicide prevention. Actually, the initiative we're going to be uh, announcing or will have announced by the time this comes on is, is focused on youth and young adult mm. uh, mental health concerns uh, with a strong focus on suicide. So sure. there's just a lot of work to do right now across the board um, and the different strategies that we're considering. Um, there's no simple answer, Understood. but uh, there's a lot of work that needs to be done on suicide right now. Understood. And we'll be back after this break to talk more about that work. You're okay. watching Public Narrative, a word. I'm Connie Lindsay, one of your hosts for Joy in the Breakthrough. On our next episode, Anna and I have an in-depth discussion about being more than enough. I had to sit with that uncomfortableness and then ask, why am I feeling this way? Tune in this Monday at 7 p.m. on CAN-TV Channel 19, streaming on CANTV.org, and now available on the new CAN-TV Plus app. Experience the power of community television. Welcome back to Public Narrative, A Word. Andy, you mentioned just before the break the work that needs to be done. There's many layers to peel back as we look at you know, the increasing suicide rates in the black community and what work needs to happen in order to um, eliminate suicide in the black community, but suicide overall, right? And mm -hmm. as we think about mental wellness and the support for Illinoisans as well as for Chicagoans in particular, years ago, the city of Chicago closed right many, many mental health institutions. What does that look like in even providing support to community members when those resources that were once available are no longer? The city has put other resources into other community mental health organizations, which mm -hmm. is a positive thing. Sure. Uh, there's still a lot of people that want those clinics back. And I think there's different ways to look at it, but the, the upshot is, um, services in communities um, need to be available to everybody. And there's a lot of unevenness in um, the availability of mental health care, period. Mm -hmm. um, not just in Chicago, but in our society. Sure. So uh, equity uh, and access really go together. Mm -hmm. So in Chicago, I know there's a lot of different areas, um, efforts to integrate mental health care with primary care, because all health is health. Mm -hmm. um, but looking specifically at what resources are, are available in every single zip code, every part of town. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's the work that needs some attention. Because mm -hmm. uh, one thing that we found, um, I've been at NAMI for about three and a half years, is there was a perception that NAMI wasn't necessarily for everybody. Mm. And that's not wow. what we want. Yeah. So uh, we've really done uh, a lot to um, try to make build bridges with uh, black mental health leaders, uh, Latino mental health leaders, all mental health leaders. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of opportunities to break down barriers, um, but when it comes down to it, whatever community you come from, um, getting well from a mental health condition, um, mental health conditions can be a lonely place. And sure. when you're talking to somebody, trust is everything. Absolutely. So um, having enough mental health practitioners that you know people connect with is really important. So another silver lining of the pandemic is that suddenly people 
are willing to talk about things that maybe sure. never were before. We learned that at Public Narrative, we uh, co-led a health uh, research project mm -hmm. with the Alliance for Research in Chicago, oh, led yeah. communities out of Northwestern. And just in thinking about how do we equip trusted messengers like researchers and journalists mm -hmm. and speaking the same language to help disseminate health research in a lot of those media publications that mm -hmm. folks really tune to for, you know, inf to inform themselves around making um, uh, decisions around their health care. When you mentioned that about uh, interdi interdisciplinary care, can you expound on that a little bit more? Um, just the understanding of having our health practitioners communicate with one another when it comes to our service plans. Hmm. That's an interesting question. I haven't thought about it in that way. Um, we actually have a program we're going to be bringing in called NAMI Provider, which is really to train our advocates um, mental health advocates to begin connecting with primary care, uh, teachers, uh, all parts of the care system. Mm -hmm. um, we find that even within um, the health community, there's, there's stigma. Yes. So um, breaking down barriers between different health professionals, there's a lot of commonality, uh, but sometimes even today, even after this sort of sea change and willingness to talk about mental health, uh, there's a lot of stigma. So uh, I think one critical thing is just a sustained effort mm -hmm. to uh, constantly build bridges to everybody. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that uh, NAMI has been doing uh, for the last few years, we helped roll out um, really a reboot of two sister programs, uh, Sharing Hope mm -hmm. and Comprechendo Esperanza. Mm -hmm. And these are culturally competent outreach programs. Yes. Uh, one targets the black community, uh, the other target Latino communities. And it's not me reaching out to the black community, sure. it's uh, um, people of color talking to other people of color uh, by, for, and about mental health concerns. And it's, it's not a, a really deep program, it's a, it's a door opening program. Mm -hmm. And what we found is not only a lot of stereotypes about who will talk about mental health and, mm -hmm. and you know, it really depends on the messenger Sure. and the message and are people listening and you can get past the stigma but you have to work at it mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. No, I appreciate that. I appreciate being able to acknowledge the need for cultural competence yeah. and making certain that those uh, therapists and those credible messengers have what they need in order to communicate uh, right. with audiences who, I mean, frankly, may not have ever communicated with a therapist right. and have, you know, been a little guarded in how much information they share right. and been very much so and rightfully so concerned about the perception based right. on what they share. So that sensitivity is very important. How can folks connect with NAMI Illinois? Well, the best way to connect with us is our, our website. You can find all of your local affiliates. We have 19 around the state, and so you can connect them from our website, which is www.namiillinois.org. Um, you can also email nami at namiillinois.org. Uh, there's actually a national hotline or helpline that mm -hmm. connects into um, the NAMI network, so they'll get to us. If you're in the city of Chicago, um, uh, 311 calls actually channel mm -hmm. to our Chicago affiliate, which mm -hmm. under uh, operates a really wonderful call center. Andy, thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Before you go, I just want to, you know, we're celebrating 40 years at, right. here at Can TV. Share a little bit about your history with Can TV. It's a very, very fascinating one. Well, I, I'm really glad you asked that. I yeah. actually started my career out uh, at Can TV uh, doing community media stuff uh, focused on education reform in Chicago. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, learned most of what I know about media working with uh, your organization, yes. who uh, used to have a different name, yeah. uh, in Can TV. Uh, uh, longer than I care to admit, but <laughs> sure. but uh, it's wonderful because what we found is, um, look, everybody's got a voice, mm -hmm. and you know it really translates well to mental health because people not only need to have a voice, they need to feel that they're heard. Absolutely. And this is an institution that that does that in a very practical, real way. Thank you again for being here today and for sharing that. Yeah. And thank you for being with us today on Public Narrative Award. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Public Narrative, a word. The mental health practice founded by my next guest was born from a personal experience that she decided to use to ignite change here in Chicago. Kamisha Jones is the founder and executive director of Sister Afia, a social enterprise that provides low-cost mental wellness services and community support for young black women in the city. Kamisha, thanks so much for joining the conversation today. Thanks so much for having me. Of course, of course. So help us understand, particularly as suicide rates are increasing in the mm -hmm. black community, what prompted you to found Sister Afia? So I decided to found Sister Afia just from a personal, but also seeing a community need. So when um, I was diagnosed with a mental health condition, I felt very lonely as a black woman because of not just the stigma, but also a lot of mental health spaces weren't necessarily created with us in mind, or in some cases really welcomed black women. And so I decided that I kind of wanted to do something about yeah. that. I didn't know exactly how it was gonna look or how it was gonna turn out, but I knew that what I went through personally and then also with my educational background in social work, I was uniquely positioned in some ways by God to actually like do something about it and kind of to mirror the both to create something that could be healing and transformative for black women. Absolutely. How have you run into, I know a lot of times in the black community, um, we lean heavily on our faith, mm -hmm. you know, and we take everything to the Lord in prayer, right? Yes. But how do you, how do you balance that uh, combination of faith and therapy? So I think that they're great complements to one another. Um, they don't have to deal in isolation. Sure. And I think one thing we do well in the black community is a both and, it doesn't have to be either or. Uh, but for myself and other women who may practice a particular um, religion or spiritual practice is that um, for me, I know my faith gives me hope, it gives me inspiration, it gives me structure, yes. um, it gives me ways to show love to not just other people, but also to myself as well. And therapy, um, you know, mental health professionals are here to help us in ways that may be different than what you may get in your faith community. So I look at therapists as an asset mm -hmm. to the well-being of us holistically. 
and um, there's a way to either have you know a therapist that has a faith background or to be able to talk about that and bring that into the space as a part of your healing journey so there are some um, people that I work with for therapy who actually say hey like you know me praying every night is very helpful for me and I don't shy away from that as a therapist I say let's bring that into the space so that you have all the tools and all the options available so that you can have like the well-being that's needed in your life yes so how do you you know really help people to open up to the thought of sharing with a complete stranger um, and building that that relationship with a therapist so one of the things that we do at Sisafia is we kind of help people to get in the door by providing them with multiple ways to engage with their mental wellness. Um, and that can kind of open people up to say, hey, you know, I think that taking another step with um, therapy can also be helpful for me too. And I think one of the downsides in the mental health community is like, you have a mental health condition, therapy, like that's the only option. Sure. And so we try to open that up and also to make our content very welcoming and very warm. Um, there are so many websites that I go to where you got people who look like they're crying and yes. distressed. Yes. And who wants to, people wanna see what it looks like to be on the other side. Mm -hmm. So even everything from our branding, um, what we provide in terms of our services are about a welcoming, warm atmosphere so people can feel more comfortable to talk about things that may be challenging. It sounds like you help women, black women, women in particular, to reconnect with their joy. What type of impact do you imagine that have, has on, the ch on their children? One of the things about um, women in particular, and if we even talk about black women specifically, is we are huge influencers. So if you are able to take care of your well-being, that impacts your um, children, that impacts your community, that impacts your friends, and that also impacts your romantic relationships. Mm -hmm. So um, it's, I say that not to say that we have the responsibility to do that, sure. but that one of our power as women is to be influencers, right? And so I think that when black women prioritize their well-being, everyone is better off around them. Mm -hmm. So I, I really, really um, believe in that and I see it. And even for myself personally, I was one of the first people in my family to go to therapy. Mm -hmm. And then when I went to therapy, other people in my family felt comfortable to do it. Or even, I don't talk about my personal story as much as I used sure. to, but even for me to say like, hey, I'm not what a typical person looks like who you may stigmatize who has a particular mental health condition and to show that it's okay to share your story and to move from victimhood but to yes. empowerment um, with your story and your mental well-being. Yes. We'll be right back to talk more about that. You're watching Public Narrative, a word. Hi, I'm Bianca Cotton, host of Behind the Confidence Smile. Tune in for a discussion about loss, grief, and violence with Carly. I knew my life was going to be different. I knew that I was going to be different, not just physically, but emotionally. You can watch on CanTV19, CanTV.org, and CanTV Plus app. Welcome back. 
Kamisha, before the break, you were talking a little bit about like how, how you reconnect black women with their joy and ultimately help them improve on the, their quality of life. Help us understand the very structure of Sister Afia and as a social enterprise, you know, what of your social work background helped to inspire mm -hmm. creating and establishing the nonprofit as well as the private practice? Yeah, so um, in social, what people don't always realize about social work is that we're really focused on social justice. Mm -hmm. And so that lives and breathes in a lot of what social workers do. And so with Sisa Afia, it wasn't just about creating a mental health business, but it was also about social justice and equity um, in terms of mental health, like mental health, there's already a lack of investment overall sure. with mental health affecting all communities, but there are particular issues that impact the black community, especially in Chicago, that may be different or similar to other places. So when thinking about creating Sisa Afia, I wanted it to be something that was accessible to everyone and still uh, really focusing on that mental health equity. So um, we have a private practice that operates as a traditional private practice, takes insurance, you know, there's a fee associated with it. But then we also have a nonprofit, Sisa Afia Community Care, which focuses on serving women who experience multiple barriers to care. So really saying any woman, regardless of their background, their income, where they're from, that mental wellness care should be accessible and achievable for them in their lifetime. And so at Sisa Afia Community Care, we work with women who have been out of mental health care for a long time, maybe have tried finding a therapist but couldn't find one of color that can understand their sure. experience or just being in their communities. We're located on the south side and so saying like, hey, you know, you don't have to go downtown for therapy. Right. A part of mental health equity is that you can access these services in your community. Mm -hmm. How do you all create a community of care even among the practitioners? So with our therapists, one of the things that I do on the onset when they join our team is we're gonna create a workplace self-care plan. Mm. So what are your limitations? What are your boundaries when it comes to clients, but also personally as well, so that you can show up your best to do this work and not be drained. So one of the things that I've noticed, you know, in both uh, the public and the private sector is that therapists are working really hard, sure. probably more than what people realize. So there are some businesses or nonprofits that will say, you need to see 30 to 40 clients a week. Mm -hmm. So if you think about that, that's 30 to 40 people that you're processing deep, emotional, traumatic things with every day, mm -hmm. right? And so that wears on you and that's why there can be particularly in our field, therapists burn out and they end up leaving sure. the field. And so at Sisafia, I try to create a reasonable and also a um, wellness environment for the people that work on our team and checking in with them regularly saying, you're dealing with working with a client who has a lot of crises, who has yes. a lot of barriers. How are you taking care of yourself? What do you need from me as your supervisor to support you as you're working yes. with this person. It reminds me of how a lot of community building and a lot of community work, a lot of those frontline workers are in need of that very same type of support. Could you talk a little bit about any type of collaboration that you have with other folks? They may not be in the mental health space, mm -hmm. but they very much so are community organizers and advocates who are supporting the black community. 
So we do a lot of collaborating at Sisa Afia. We've collaborated with dozens of black women across the city who have a variety of backgrounds. So whether they're into the wellness field, um, so that can be people who are yoga teachers, meditation teachers, art, dance therapists, yes. um, social type of you know events, women's empowerment. So we try to work with women who have a heart for black women and serving our community and who can use their healing practice uh, practice to support the well-being of black women and we've done that from the very onset Beautiful. so you know we talked about like you come into the expo mm -hmm. you know uh, within the first few years that we started and that started from a collaboration with kenya and chanel two black women mm -hmm. who are really passionate about mental health in the black community. And so I think because we started that way, it's like literally in the blood of the organization, mm -hmm. like it's all through us. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we continue to do. And really just, uh, it's about creating an ecosystem, right? So, you know, we talk about divestment, right? In black communities, but what about the talent? What about the people who we have within our communities where we can create our own network, our own, ecosystem of mental health care regardless of what money we get <laughs> you know regardless Absolutely. of what policies happen and so I'm really passionate about that and I think Chicago is a great city that can do that because you know you know me I'm from the DMV mm -hmm. and I never experienced the type of like unity and community sure. that I have seen in Chicago like what what you all do in Chicago in terms of community support, organizing, relationship building is so beautiful. Five years from now, what does Sister Afia look like? Ooh, I get that question a lot. So um, one of the things that I'm really interested in doing is uh, formalizing a model of care, mm -hmm. the one that we utilize, and seeing if we can help people across the country to uh, use a particular model of care that can transform black women in their mental health in other communities. Mm -hmm. So that's something that we're like working on right now because I believe people are like, oh, Sis Afia can be in this city, that city. And I'm like, one, we don't need to be going around colonizing other <laughs> mental sure, health spaces. Exactly. But the people who are in Detroit, in Atlanta, in DC, in Mississippi, Alabama, they know their communities and what's needed most. So how can we work together with other people who are passionate and dedicated to black women's mental health and bring a model of care that can help to support the work that they're already doing? So that's one thing. Also, I have a dream of Sisa Afia being a federally qualified health center. Mm. And so a federally qualified health center is like a one-stop shop for all of your health and wellness needs. So, you know, primary care, dental care, uh, mental health care, I mean, everything, <laughs> you know, That's that you beautiful. would need. And right now, you know, we're like kind of getting our feet wet. Our nonprofit is a behavioral health clinic certified by the state of Illinois. Mm -hmm. So that's like one step, you know, towards that. But I believe that we need federally qualified health centers for black women all across the country, right? And so that's like one thing that I really would like to see happen. And lastly, that just we continue to make an impact and to support people with their mental well-being. We exist because black women need us and they trust us and we're providing something that's helpful for them. And so at the end of the day, regardless of like what plans that I have 
or what dreams or whatever even that my staff has is so important that we center who we're serving and as long as they're good then we can move forward right and so that is something that's just really important to me that we just continue to center the the experiences and the needs of our community and let that guide what we do in the future absolutely you mentioned um that about like being uh ultimately being state and federally certified but is this in response to the closing of mental wellness centers across the city or is this just something that evolved as a need particularly for black women I would say the latter. Okay. Um, so the city of Chicago closed those mental health clinics, but they've actually, under Lori Lightfoot's leaderships, a lot of people don't know she, uh, her. Pub, the Department of Public Health did a lot to uh, fund mental health services across the city, mm -hmm. publicly and with private um, organizations. Understood. So Chicago's actually moving in a better direction than they Excellent. were with previous administrations. So things are actually getting better, <laughs> you okay, know, in good, Chicago. Good. But this was just something that I've just always uh, thought could be needed and yes. it would be powerful just to see it come to fruition. Yes, well thank you so much for your service and for taking such good care of the black women here in Chicago. We truly appreciate you and I appreciate you being here on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. For more information about Sister Afia, visit sisterafia.com and make sure to follow All Things Public Narrative by visiting publicnarrative.org and following us at Public Narrative on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and X, formerly known as Twitter. This has been Public Narrative, a word with Jamira Alexander. See you next time. If you or someone you know is struggling with their mental health and is experiencing a crisis, you can call or text 988 to access the service or find help online at 988lifeline.org.